Dr. Uh, Marianne, she just is amazing and um, just such a support. And the work that she's doing in Step by Step um, is just been amazing because there's so much sacrifice in this work. There's so much that has been poured into this work. There's so much, um, you know, intent that has been put in to make sure that something can be delivered at a quality level for all of our kids and communities near and far. So I just don't want to, you know, negate the opportunity to be able to um, edify her and the work that she does. The same person you see in these 15 minutes that is passionate about the program is the same person who assessed the kids, tutors, teaches teaches tutors, teachers, teachers, just all this, the same person, right? It's the same love and, and, and passion. And the thing that you mentioned at the beginning that you empower um, and, and encourage, I think is so powerful because I think it speaks to who you are as a person and that that's the part that people should connect to. And that's the part that people should realize needs the sponsoring and the support to continue this work in the world. So continue to do an amazing job. I um, stand for you and I just, you know, support you as much as, you know, as we can. Hi, thanks for tuning in to our Dyslexia Solutions podcast. I'm Dr. Marianne Sintron, founder of Step-by-Step Dyslexia Solutions. So I bring peace to parents by helping their dyslexic children read so that we can build their self-esteem, help them unlock their genius minds, and allow them to achieve success in school and in life. So the reason for this podcast is to interview parents of dyslexic children and we interview dyslexic adults, and I also talk from my heart. And the reason this podcast is important is we want to raise awareness of what dyslexia is so that you have knowledge, because knowledge is power. And we want to let you know that you're not alone in your situation. So thanks again for tuning in, and here we go with our special guest for the day. guest. Her name is Melissa Summers. She is the CEO of Harmonic Changes. And I met Melissa through one of my board members who's a, ed therapy, a music therapist. Her name is Laura Fonseca. So I'm excited to have Melissa here because as a, a musical person, she's going to talk about the neurological science of how music helps with learning. And I want to welcome you on board, Melissa. Come to the stage. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having Hi. me. <laughs> so would you give a, um, a little introduction about who you are to our audience? Absolutely. So you pronounced my name correctly. <laughs> it's always inter- it's, it's interesting re-saying my name after somebody just did. But yes, my name is Melissa Summers. I'm a board-certified music therapist. Um, and as Marianne mentioned, the owner of a company called Harmonic Changes Therapy Services. 
And I really found my passion for music therapy at a really young age um, through a personal connection. My youngest sister was born with a brain tumor, which led to a lot of complications um, with every sensory system you can imagine. Um, and one of the only things that consistently connected with her was me playing live piano music with her. So um, that really sent me into her special ed classes as, you know, the big sister helper, but I got to see firsthand all the different supports and um, resources and tools that are available in the school system and in the classrooms that can really help support education in unique ways. Um, so that really led me down the path of how can I help music and help kids like my sister? And one thing led to another and the universe sent me to the only state school that offered music therapy in Wisconsin where I grew up. Um, and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> I think it was pretty interesting that I asked you, so what instrument do you, what instruments do you play? And you responded, what instruments do I not play? Yeah. And I find that with my friends who are very musical that, they, they, it just seems to transport to all the different instruments. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yes, that's one of my favorite responses when I get that question is, well, I do not play the didgeridoo, which is an <laughs> instrument native to Australia. Um, but with all of our education and knowing how unique music is processed in the brain, the only thing that has the ability to activate almost every nook and cranny of our brains, not at once, because we'd have a seizure, we don't want that. But because each instrument is processed slightly differently, everything we do as music therapists uses music. So we want to make sure our tool belt is as full and as diverse as it can be. So I mean, I have guitar, ukulele, harp, and keyboard over here. Uh, hand percussion instrument is right here. I have an auto harp. And in my garage, I have even more because of all of the ways that rhythm organizes our brain. It helps us um, with that feed forward loop. A lot of what we learn as kids is filling in the blanks. And it's because the rhythm is organizing. Oh, I have to respond. I have to respond. And knowing that and tapping into using maybe some more percussive instruments or, you know, with the guitar is my go to because it's so easy and quick to play and um, it's really fun. I mean, what rock band doesn't have a guitar? Right. <laughs> so. Well, you know, you're speaking to my heart because as a nonprofit, we write grants. And one of the things we address is when music is played, it does allow the children to move forward because their brain does want to fill in the blanks. Yeah. So it's like we read the same research article with that. Probably. And um, it's very interesting because I don't see people using music with their reading programs, and I'm in a practicum for Orton Gillingham so that I could, um, that's like the gold standard of, re of teaching reading, but you, I cannot use music with my practicum student because that would skew the data. Hmm. So I have other students that I use my reading program with, and I use music. Yeah. And I love it because they're making one to three year gains in only six weeks in reading vocabulary, fluency, and comprehension. Do you want to tell the audience about your, your student, the students you work with from the range of dyslexic to autistic? Yeah. So when I started Harmonic Changes, um, it, we were previously Melly Music and blah, blah. There's a whole story behind it. But until you grew, uh, <laughs> yeah. expanded. Uh, 
but I really wanted to focus on a company that serviced all ages. So we really tap into prenatal music therapy all the way to end of life and all the stages and needs in between that and all the various life stages and phases. Um, so yeah, so we routinely serve, uh, support kids with autism, dyslexia, sensory processing, auditory processing, um, into, you know, just some global delays, developmental delays, mental health support, end of life, memory, recall, um, and music wellness. We also do music lessons. So um, kind of the full spectrum of we, you know, as music therapists, we music is so unique and connects to everybody so differently. So we really specialize in knowing that and supporting who we're working with. So do you reckon, well, how do you find out your students' progress? Is it evidence in what's going on in the classroom or are you seeing evidence of that from day to day as you work with the students? Both. So we really look at each of our clients as a whole. So what we see in session is only a part of who they are. So we want to know their support network and what they're seeing, because, you know, what what we really see is and what we hope for is the transfer out of session. We want what we're doing to really influence their um, learning at school, their relationships at home, their regulation, meaning their ability to be in control of their emotions and all of those things that we're working in session, we want that to, to help outside of session and the kind of flow. So we do start with an assessment where we put together our goals and then we track every session. And then every few months we write a progress report and we really try to tap into all those individuals and important people in that support network too. So how many times a week would a student be with you? Our average is one to two sessions a week. Um, and it just really depends on the needs and how invested the family is. And, you know, the kids these days too are so busy. <laughs> so what's what's their schedule look like and, and what would be the best, most appropriate? So are your clients private pay families or do you have schools reaching out to you as well? So we are primarily private pay, and we've had a few school districts um, that we've partnered with, and we're on the cusp of getting vendored um, and vetted through insurance to accept insurance funding. Well, now I know insurance covers auditory processing. Is that a way you can, because a lot of dyslexic people have auditory processing yeah. issues, yeah. but the insurance isn't covering it for reading remediation. Oops. I don't know why it's recording that. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> ah! <laughs> um, so, but the insurance doesn't cover the intervention for reading remediation. But if parents out there can pursue with their insurance that their child has auditory processing delays, that would yeah. be very helpful. We are diving in blindly into this insurance game and we're going to learn a lot as we go. Um, but absolutely, from what I've gathered so far is the codes, most codes are not contingent upon the provider. It's contingent upon what service is being provided. So um, we're going to learn as we go, but we're very open to learning as well. And we want to encourage families, if you can afford private pay, let's get started to help your child now. Let's don't wait. And if you want to 
be pursuing with the paperwork, you know, to have the insurance cover it or your school to cover it. Great. But let's get started now. Somebody told me that they were told by a therapist that children should learn the alphabet, not by learning the letter names, but by learning the letter sounds. And you do a little bit of that in your therapy. You want to demonstrate for our audience what that looks like? Absolutely. So um, it's a very common technique we use in, in music therapy. And I actually coach all parents in session on how they can use this outside. And it's, it's like the, the fun name is piggyback lyrics. And we all do this. So it's the idea of you keep the melody and the rhythm of a familiar song, but you change what you're singing to reflect what you're working on. So if I'm working with a kiddo and we're working on the sound like ba, 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 we might take a song that I know they enjoy, like the Itsy Bitsy Spider, and just ba, 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 and give them the opportunity to say ba. Huh, wow, okay. <laughs> the other way that we do it um, is for kids, that can seem a little young. So for some older kids, um, having more of that emotional connection, because we also know a lot of emotion is involved in learning things. And when you're, when you're not learning as quickly as you want to, or um, so a go-to song that I also like is If You're Happy and You Know It and identifying different sounds that you can use with different emotions, where it's also giving tools on how to express those emotions appropriately um, is another great song and resource that I like to use as well. So, uh-oh, you froze. Oh, no. You still there? Yes, I am. Oh, no. We've been having some internet connections with the weather here. Um, oh, there you are. Okay. okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. You need to get edit that part out. Yeah, it's just because of the weather. Okay. It's, it's in California and we finally have some oh. dampness in the air and the internet goes, ah. <laughs> well, you know, when I used to substitute in kindergarten, yeah. I don't know what to do. we always had um, record, you know, we always had music to, to teach the kids to move and wiggle with music. Yeah. And, you know, when I was yeah. teaching in the middle school, we would have the kids enter with a certain type of a music. And then when the class was over, they could exit with music mm -hmm. because you just want their spirits uplifted coming in yeah. and leaving. Yeah, so absolutely. what other yeah. uh, brilliant uh, music tips do you have to share with our audience? I'm just so excited. Well, so I want to comment really quickly on that and a little because my master's is in music with all of the focus on neurologic music therapy. So this is where I geek out. Okay. <laughs> so basically what research shows us is when our brains hear two steady beats, it automatically anticipates the third and activates our motor cortex, which is why rhythm is so whole body and we, we intrinsically respond to rhythm without even realizing it. It organizes movement. It helps with sequencing information, which is great when you're learning to read and you're learning um, some more coordination, movement, motor stuff. Um, but also we know how closely tied it is to emotion. So it's a great way to feel understood and validated and heard through certain song choices. Um, so I love, when music is integrated into all of that, because it's just another fun way of presenting the information in a non-threatening way. Um, I know when I've helped kiddos with, you know, younger kids with toileting or a little older with tying their shoes, 
will specifically write songs sequencing the steps and you can sing the same tying your shoe song 20 times in a row and it's going to come across and be be interpreted very differently than if you're saying it Hmm. and it's because of all those rhythm and melody and the way that our brain is processing it differently so it's such an a powerful tool well and let me Um, just oh and then oh go ahead I, was, I almost forgot this other part that I wanted to share, too, is there's a really phenomenal collection of books um, by uh, the illustrator Isa Trapani, I-Z-A-T-R-A-P-A-N-I. And that piggyback technique that I was referencing a, a minute ago, what these books do is they take familiar child nursery rhymes, It's Bitsy Spider, Shoe Fly, The Bear Went Over the Mountain, and they created an entire book so it's like 20 pages of the same melody and every page is a new part of the story so it's a really great way to help promote um reading new words sustaining through books Mm. longer because the whole song is organized through that familiar melody and you know because of how our brain works and wanting to fill in the blanks and have those pauses have an answer it's a really great way to help promote some resiliency and some um, persistence and pushing through with reading books that, you know, is a, is commonly a big challenge. <laughs> well, that's a good resource. I was going to yeah. say um, how we use music in my reading program is we have an app it's, right now. It's called Dunking Dyslexia, but we're changing it to be uh, CDS for Cintron Dyslexia Solutions. And we're, we have a donut, we're getting rid of the donut and we have a really nice new logo. But we play classical music in the left ear, right. which goes to transfers to the right side of the brain and gives it a job it likes to do so that it doesn't take over the reading. And then we have the spelling exercises in the right ear, which cross to the left side of the brain, strengthening the left angular gyrus like Pilates of the brain. And that's what it is. We had a, a, an eighth grade student who was being raised by her grandfather because her mom was in prison and her grandfather was afraid she was following her mom's footsteps. And he said they tried all the after-school programs and nothing was working with her. And he wanted to come to us. We had a six week program. He wanted to come to us uh, because of the music, because his daughter liked music. And sure enough, after six weeks, I mean, he, he was in tears seeing Mm -hmm. the progress she made, calling it a miracle asking me if I was a doctor. Mm. I mean, he, it was like the missing link. And when I wrote my book, A Message of Hope, I talk about music is the missing link. Why don't we, I, I think there's some research being done on it now, but it's not out yet. And here I've been using music for 15 years, teaching reading. Yeah. So, well, and, and as music therapists, we're constantly in this battle of you know, because music is so quickly deemed as recreation or extracurricular um, that a lot, there's a lot of confusion about, oh no, we're, we're evidence-based, we're research-based. Yes. We have this whole growing database of how music is affecting our brain, how music is supporting emotions and relationships and wellness and all of these great things. And if you look, history shows us in, you know, BC era, music was used for healing powers and all throughout history. So um, I think it's one of those things that sometimes you have to sit down and 
lay it all out for somebody sometimes. And then it's like, oh, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But people don't think about it that way. You know, and the research is showing that there's four areas where dyslexic people really thrive. And the arts is one of them. The other is engineering, architecture, and entrepreneurism. But to be in the arts, where some of them are so musically creative and artistic with art and paint, but musically creative. So even more so, I would think parents would want to get their children involved with music. You know, we always did. We always had our kids involved with music in elementary school because we learned that it helped their other academics. Absolutely. And even though that wasn't the path either of my kids continued in, we always gave them that opportunity because you never know. They might get yeah. the gene of my mom who played guitar great. I never <laughs> got that gene. My, and my kids didn't get that gene. But you never know if a child will get one of those genes if a relative is very musical. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, we always, I always really focus on parents and say, it doesn't matter if you're, if you can sing in tune, it doesn't matter if you are intrinsically rhythmic or not. It's about how our brain is processing the music. That's important. And how the information is being provided differently through music. So sing off keys, sing arrhythmically. It's uh, more yeah. how it's, how it's processing in our brains more than the performance side of it. You know, about 18 years ago, I went to an international dyslexia conference back east and Patricia Cool was the keynote speaker and she there was a neurologist there who introduced her and the neurologist um, had literally spoke to me and said, if you're using music with this reading program, continue because music has more benefits to the brain than we can ever imagine. Because I was afraid, oh, no, am I changing the kid's brain if I'm teaching using music so young? And this is, of course, 18 years ago, so I didn't know. Yeah. But um, he, he's like, no, music is going to help more than anything. Um, you want to mention a little bit about the elderly? That's a real concern for us all right now because so many of us have parents that are in elderly care and how yeah. music is helping them. Absolutely. So what we're doing right now and what we've been um, really focusing on during this whole pandemic is really connecting to our, our senior community and our, our elders through music and really kind of trying to think outside the box and how can we do remote sessions and virtual sessions. Um, and now, fortunately, all of our team has had access to the vaccine. So we're slowly rolling out in-person sessions again. Um, and a, a lot of the facilities that we were partnered with before the pandemic have come around now to allowing virtual sessions in like the common rooms so we can still remote in. Um, but we also on our website, we've created a bunch of videos with on-screen lyrics for sing-alongs um, and just more wellness opportunities to connect through music virtually and remotely. Um, but also with our with our older population, what we focus on a lot is memory and reminiscence and to kind of your what you were just saying too with the neurologist saying, no, incorporate music. I always like to explain that music is the ultimate GPS of our brain, where any sort of a diagnosis that we might have, if we think of that as a roadblock or there's an object in the road, right? But when we incorporate music, it knows the detours. It can create bridges. It can create new pathways and connections, supporting all of learning new information or being able to access information that maybe wasn't previously accessible because of 
a stroke or because of dementia or whatever diagnoses there may be. But music is that, you know, I love saying it's the ultimate GPS because it knows all the shortcuts. And, you know, elderly love to listen to their old, their old songs, right? Yeah, it's a time capsule. Yeah. It brings you back so, so vividly. Sometimes I've had some of my, my friends, you know, oh, I can taste the pistachios or I can (laughs) taste, you know, because it was a song, you know, that was bringing back such rich memories. So. And, you know, if an, if an elderly care center out there ever wanted to work with me with, with what I'm doing with my app, I always thought you know, because we have spelling words in the right ear, that the elderly would want to practice their spelling, you know, and write sentences like they do crossword puzzles, or other things. But it's been a real hard way to get that in. It just wasn't the right timing. But who who knows, maybe if someone's listening to this podcast in a year, (laughs) they might be ready for that. Isn't that it's just so fascinating sometimes how things come full circle at times. (laughs) You know, the other thing I wanted to share was I had a a seventh grade student that I was teaching math to. We had a class of 15 and he would say, I'm adopted. I have ADHD and I have dyslexia. And he said that um, the the Ritalin calmed him down, but the music helped him learn. Mm -hmm. And the days when he forgot his phone and couldn't play his music, he had a bad day. And yeah. he had that written into his, um, his individual education plan at school. Yeah. And it went with him all through the rest of middle school yeah. and through high school. I love that it was so supportive of his yeah. music. Yeah. And a lot of the administrators in the schools just aren't getting it. They just yeah. don't want the kids listening to their music when it really yeah. does help them. If they can, I think, find a balance if, they, if the kids... Uh, take advantage of it. And like, if I saw the students rocking out, they lose their privilege. Or if if they were focused and attending to what I was teaching, they could listen to music in their left ear. Yeah. And one student said, Oh, I like it better in my right. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Listen and learn. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, again, it's because of the unique way music is processed in our brain and the unique way music is globally processed you know just hearing a song with melody and rhythm both sides of your brain are awake and engaged not to mention all the other things that are in a song do you want to we'll wrap this up but I wanted to ask you you want to say anything to the value of classical music versus hip-hop or any kind of rock or anything yeah so I always tell people we're not meant to like every song otherwise there would be one artist and one (laughs) album and that would be it And I think it really speaks to the uniqueness of who we are as individuals. Again, no two brains are alike. That's right. And we know each genre is processed slightly differently in the brain. So I think we really connect to certain styles of music based on who we are, but also knowing the differences of lyrical music versus non-lyrical music and knowing that non-lyrical music supports with more reading and supports with more um, history, like uh, social studies and history. And then lyrical music tends to support more with math and science um, because of the parts of the brain that are engaged. So I always, you know, try to expand if somebody is really stuck in one genre. Um, and a great way to do that is through bands like Postmodern Jukebox, or looking up for different versions of a song that you already like, but listening to it in a different style. Hmm. So it's familiar, but you're just flirting with going outside of your comfort zone a little to help expand 
from one genre or, you know, a little bit. When you play your instruments, do you feel like you're going into a new world? I mean, how, how does it relax you? You know, so a lot of what I do with my harp is I do some mindful breathing with it, with a lot of my music wellness groups. Um, and I find when I'm doing it, I get just as much out of it as anybody that's receiving it. Um, but absolutely, in another part of my house, I have a baby grand piano because I grew up a classical pianist. So um, I love getting lost. Like if, if you've seen the movie Soul. Soul, S-O-U-L. Yeah, it's the new Pixar movie out. Oh, oh it's, there's a brilliant explanation. <laughs> Don't of judge being, me, I haven't. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a brilliant explanation of being in the zone. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of like you kind of go into another space. And I find yeah. sometimes I do get there in that zone when I'm playing classical piano every now and again, which I love. So. Well, cause I have a little keyboard in my office and yeah. I have to put all the letters on the keys and I'll tell you just some of those sounds I could just, Ooh, I yeah. just feel like I'm just, I love the space and I just love exactly. to play that. Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to wrap this up, Melissa. I want to thank you so much. Yeah, you're so I, welcome. Thank would, you. What would be a final uh, word to our audience? And then how can they reach you? So a final word to the audience would, I would definitely encourage you to explore ways that you can use music, um, especially those challenging moments of, you know, shaking it up a little bit with a song and a playful little dance, get your body engaged. Um, and just kind of create new opportunities to, to connect, um, with your body, with others through music. So that's kind of what I, I always like to throw that out there. Okay. And if they need some ideas, can they reach out to you and get some ideas? Yes. So check out our website, harmonicchanges.com. We have a bunch of resources on there. And then you can always reach out to us at info at harmonicchanges.com. Um, and we offer a free 30 minute consults where we can answer questions you might have um, and see if music therapy might be a good fit or adapted music lessons or kind of figuring out if we can support what you're looking for. So, well, I envy you so much. I always wanted to be so <laughs> musical and I you love still this. Can. You are. <laughs> and people who have these wonderful voices, you're just my envy, but it's your, it's the gift God's given you. So um, thank you very much, Melissa, for being here. Thank and, you. And audience, I want to thank you for tuning in today. Let me challenge you to please like this uh, episode and share it. And if what we have shared has blessed you, would you please go to our website and um, consider being a, being a, take, making a donation that would really help us keep getting these messages forward. So I'm going to say goodbye to you. Thank you all. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to this podcast in its entirety. If what we shared today has inspired you, would you please visit our website, dyslexia-solutions.com and consider making a donation so that we can keep these podcasts going. Also, please subscribe to our channel and find me on, on Instagram, Marianne Cintron. Thank you again for tuning in and may God bless you.